everybody. This is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here for the Invested Podcast, where we are talking about how to go out and make high returns with relatively low risk. How did those guys do that imperatively possible <laughs> thing? Um, the Warren Buffetts and Charlie Muggers of the world. How do they do that? It seems it's impossible. And how yet, do they do that? And how can we too? You know, I don't think I ever told you this, but when when uh, Buffett was being investigated back in the 70s by these modern portfolio theory academics, what they supposed was that Buffett was making high rates of return by taking a lot more risk than everybody else, because that's how the theory goes, right? You you go to Las Vegas. The only oh, way when gonna... they were studying his trades. Yeah. You, yeah. You, to Las you Vegas, said the only investigated, way and I thought like, oh, so he was being investigated? Well, by yeah. those guys. Like they were yeah, trying yeah. to figure out how to understand Buffett, who by that time had had a you know, well over a 20 year track record um, of being very successful in killing the market um, and not even really ever having a losing year compared to the market. And that's not possible unless, according to modern portfolio theory, you're just really lucky. And they ultimately ended up describing him, I think it was we've told you, as like a, a, as a lucky monkey. But they had to look at his trades and theoretically, he's got much more risk in his portfolio, according to to the beta of these companies, which is the modern portfolio theory view of risk. The beta is how much does the stock price move around compared to the S&P 500, say. Okay. And they would expect to see Buffett's companies moving a, a lot more volatility, moving up and down much more than the market in general. And they found out the exact opposite. His portfolio was full of companies that moved around less than the market did that the beta was lower than the stock market. In other words, by their assumption, by their definition of risk, Buffett was taking far less risk than just putting your money in a mutual fund and hitting returns of 24 to 30%, which is absolutely impossible according to modern portfolio theory. So that's of course what we talk about on this podcast is how can that happen? I don't think anyone argues that it's impossible. I think what people who focus on probabilities like that in the market would argue that it's very, very improbable in the sense of winning the lottery is very improbable, and yet people do it. And so they expected to find that maybe there was some reason that he was able to do it, but they concluded that he was just lucky, essentially. Just lucky. So, a lucky monkey. A lucky, lucky, lucky monkey. So let's talk a little bit about what makes the monkey And so lucky. what we talk about is whether or not he really is lucky. Well, we don't actually talk about whether or not, because we pretty much have concluded after, at least I have after in investing this way, what we call rule one investing, which is, you know, focus on not losing money, focus on these few things that Charlie Munger told us about, which is to be capable of understanding the business, to have a big moat, to get a good management team and buy it when it's on sale. And Buffett even boils it down tighter than that. He just says, hey, look, just stay away from stuff you don't understand and buy the stuff you do understand when it's on sale. That's it. That's all. When you get a fair price, that's it. Done. Just stick to those things. And he makes this point Done. over and over and over again that you have to. I really want to tell you this. This is so great. You have to stick to the things you really understand. And Buffett uses an analogy of Ted Williams. Have I ever told you this? Ted Williams? It's a Ted Williams. Analogy. Oh, you definitely have not told you this. All right. Ted Williams was a hero when I was a little kid. He was a baseball player. In and, baseball. In baseball. Okay. Yeah, he was a baseball player in baseball. 
the the sport of baseball. <laughs> and he had a, he had some Wait, years where did he, he played baseball. <laughs> he, like he did well. He, he was the most valuable America's player pastime? in the in baseball. He was the most valuable player. He would sometimes have a batting average of over four hundred, which is almost impossible. That means every four times he came to bat, he got a hit. And then, of course, they walked him sometimes. And and so he was on base probably maybe six times out of every every 10 that he went to bat, which is crazy. So anyway, he said Ted had a theory of of hitting. And what he did was he took the strike zone, which is the from your chest to your knees and the width of the plate. OK, that's that's a box. Yes. And that's called the strike zone. OK. And he found that 77 baseball. I don't know why it's not 78. But 77 baseballs fit into that square for him, his height, where his knees were, all that. 77 baseballs okay. would fit into that rectangle. So a baseball okay. size spot. And he memorized, he, then he chart plotted, like looking at game films, all of the places where if he swung when the ball was there, he would hit 400. And all the places where if he swung when the ball was in those places, he'd hit 230. Okay? Uh -huh. So in other words, he'd get twice as many hits swinging in the ball in the right place. Follow me? You roll, you're so he like, analyzed no. his own... He, well, yeah. he, I'm, he analyzed his own swing. Like, yeah. good job. It's his job. So that yeah. seems pretty normal to me. Yeah, pretty normal. And he figured, and then he, what he did is he got a discipline of hitting, which was really hard. And that is to only swing when the ball was where it was when he hit 400. Only swing when the ball okay. was in those spots of those 77 places. Learn where those spots were where you could really hit it. And then only swing when it was there. And don't swing, even though it's a strike, when the ball is in the place where he hits 230. And that discipline allowed him to have a batting average in the high 300s all, all, his whole career. That one discipline. But it's a discipline. You have to really, really be disciplined. It's hard not to swing at good pitches. And by definition, a good pitch is in the strike zone. So it's a good pitch. It's just not a good pitch for you. Right? And this is Buffett's now, whole I point. realize that I know nothing about baseball. But wouldn't it make a lot of sense to raise your batting average if you did swing at the balls that sometimes you hit? Because he had an average of 230 on the other ones. Right. And as well as the balls that you hit at a 400 level? I think that some... Rather than to skip the 230 ones and only swing at the 400 ones? What am I not getting about this? Well, what you're not getting is that... Um, what it actually argues your point for you is that you only get three strikes in baseball. And so uh -huh. if, if he doesn't swing at the balls that are coming into the strike zone where he can't hit them very well, if he refuses to swing at those and they throw the ball there every time, yeah. he'll strike out. You follow yeah. me? And so it would argue, well, you're going to have yeah. to swing at those. But Ted found out that the pitcher's don't always throw the ball into that spot. And they will consistently throw the ball into the spot where he hits 400. And therefore, it would pay off to wait. That's what he found out. Now, does that make sense? In other words, if he could, if he, no, let's just say, let's just say every time at bat, 
you knew you were going to get pitched one ball that was going to come into one of those 400 slots. Then you would wait for that uh -huh. and hit the crud out of it. You'd get a, you'd get what we'd call a fat but, pitch. At least one time at bat, you'd get a fat pitch. You would wait, wouldn't you wait? I realize but, you don't play. But on the sport. other ones, you're taking a certain strike versus a whatever the probability is for a two thirty batting average. That means you're out. For the other ones, like why, why, why take your batting average from two thirty to zero? Because your batting average isn't zero. You get three of those without going, without damaging your batting average. No, I'm talking about just those pitches that he couldn't hit as well as the others. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Which are the ones that he had, like took out of the game, right? right so right. I'm he saying that... immediately moved his batting average from 230 to zero on no, those because no, he just no, intentionally no. took a strike on them. No, he didn't. It doesn't okay. hurt his batting average at all unless there's three of those during one, one at bat. If there's three of them and he doesn't swing at any of them, then he's out and that indeed is a zero. Okay, but if he swings at one, it's not a zero, but three time, more than three times out of four, he's going to be a zero. That's what a 230 batting average means. Yes. Yeah, so why not take this? Because that's the, the so he's automatically taking a zero instead of maybe connecting with it or is, maybe getting a no, zero. You're, you're so here's my guess. Right. You're not doing your math right. It, it requires no, three strikes before it's a zero. <laughs> Three strikes. Well, I understand. I understand. So that. he, as long as they don't throw three of them in there, it's not a zero, and they never, almost never, threw three of them in there. So here's the only reason you would choose. No, I'm going to give you two reasons why one would choose to not swing at a pitch that you have like a decent batting average on. Okay, but before you do, I just want to tell everybody listening. This actually is very important about investing. So I'm going to let Danielle run with this. All right, go ahead. I would like to know how this is. Very I'll tell important. you later. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, number one, it makes your arms tired to hit at the really good pitches. Number two, you don't hit, you maybe you connect with the ball, but you don't hit them as well as you do the other pitches. And so he decided that it was worthwhile to not hit a mediocre ball and he'd rather hit like an out of the park kind of ball on the other ones. Well, number two would be the case. <laughs> in, so, your, in your parlance. How this relates to investing, I'm gonna take a wild guess is that we shouldn't swing at the crappy pitches and we should only swing at the really fat ones across the plate yes because we have unlimited pitches dad i think there's a reason you never told me that analogy before because <laughs> it involves a lot of baseball statistics <laughs> I, you didn't even get the main point a second ago you should have been like oh <laughs> wow wow that was so wise but instead you blew right do you see the difference ted williams if the pitchers were really good they would throw the ball where he couldn't hit it very well and he would ultimately strike out by just watching the ball go into the wrong place we on the other hand and yet he still was the best hitter in baseball 
by being patient and deliberate and disciplined and waiting for the fat pitch. They gave him the fat pitch often enough that it made him the best hitter in baseball. Our, our Maybe, because didn't you say it was towards the end of his career? Like, didn't you say then he played for quite a while after that, being able to, you know, have a decent batting average? I'm not sure when he did. I think it was relatively early on. I'm, I oh. mean, obviously it had been around a while. But... I was going to say, maybe he did it as an old dude to stay in the game longer to like preserve his energy. I'm trying to think of why he would do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we are still not at the main point, which is that our game. One of my best playing... friends. <laughs> One of my best have... friends okay. is obsessed with baseball and has taken me to baseball games a couple of times. And it's really fun, actually, to go to a baseball game when you're with somebody who knows about the game and about all, all the statistics and everything. So I'm going to ask her about Ted Williams good. and what he was up to. And the next time you're at a baseball game and you might wonder why a really good baseball player would stand there and watch the ball go into the strike zone and not swing at it. Why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he swing at it? And it might be that he's following Ted Williams' discipline which is to wait for the fat pitch because he knows ultimately that's better for him. And he's in a game where if he doesn't get the fat pitch pretty quick, they're going to strike him out. Our game, back to the analogy, is one where you don't have to swing. Now, if you're a fund manager, you have to swing. You have to swing at pitches because if you don't swing for a long period of time, ultimately everybody's going to take their money away from you. But you as an individual investor, honey, you don't have to swing at all. You can just sit there and watch pitch after pitch come by until you get one that's so I fat hear you. you can hit it. And that's Buffett's Great point. Great analogy, Dad. <clears throat> Let me add to it. Are you ready? Yes. It relates to what I said earlier about how Ted Williams was probably tired. So let's assume... <laughs> Let's assume that he chose this strategy because he didn't want to tire his arms out. And we, as investors, also have a limited amount of energy, but our energy is the amount in our investing accounts, which is limited, right? Oh my God, this so we don't makes want to sense. swing. Totally makes sense. See, I told you I was going to add to it. So we don't want to swing because we don't at the mediocre pitches because. We don't want to spend all of our energy on those ones. We want to save up for the really good ones. Oh, my God. You've improved on Buffett's analogy. He never actually talked about that, <laughs> having unlimited energy, I suppose. But that's absolutely true <laughs> and for unlimited the individual. Money. Yeah, for, totally. For the individual investor, we don't have all day like Warren Buffett does to just look at companies and read annual reports and all that. No. We've got to we've got we to focus. Not. We've got to focus. And so you And we don't have whatever he has 40 billion dollars or whatever it is. Well, that actually doesn't matter, I don't think. But it, the time factor does matter a great deal. If you don't have a ton of Oh, time, I was talking about money. I was talking about dollars in tra in the trading account. So what? Why would it matter whether you have 40,000 so, or 40 million? <clears throat> well, it matters because if you have a thousand dollars and you put five hundred into two companies that seem okay, and then a third company shows up and you love it and it's amazing, and 
you would like to put money in it, but your $1,000 is already deployed, then you're out of luck. Well, no, you're not out of luck. At that point, what you would do is look at the three companies, the new one that you really, really like, super good deal, and the two you already bought. And you'd say, okay, yeah. do I want to move my capital? Do I want to reallocate here? And you can certainly reallocate. So you can put the money where it's going to grow faster and bigger if you want to take it out of where it is right now. And just remember that at every day when you look at those companies, everything that's gone before is already water under the bridge. It's already downstream. So if you bought those companies at 20 and now they're at 10, they're at 10. If you've got a better opportunity that you can take that $10 and put it into, put it in it. Well, now that's interesting because that is actually, I was kind of assuming that your companies were down because that tends to what be what happens to yeah, companies to freeze that you, right? you buy under this strategy. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's all so cost. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> sell if it were down. By the way, I know that we're supposed to be talking about management and the Wall Street Journal article in this episode, but <laughs> we're, we're way past it. I know, we will get to it. We'll probably get to it. But I think this is a really important point um, is that every you do want to own a very small number of companies. And as as Buffett said in many, many times, you should start off your investing career with the assumption that you only get to buy 20 companies in your life. <clears throat> so you're going to be very careful about buying them. You're only going to take 20 swings at 20 fat pitches. Now, if you take one of those swings, and as often happens, you buy at 20 and then it goes down farther. <clears throat> then you, but then along comes the fattest pitch you ever saw. Yeah. It's, there's nothing wrong with closing out the existing position and moving to this other one, except that you, you shouldn't be doing that very often. That should be an anomaly. It should be an absolute exception because if you're doing your work mm -hmm. on that first purchase, then you've, especially if it's gone down to $10, you you probably, if you did the work well, you probably have about as much possibility of future upside in that investment as you will in the new one. There won't be some massively different level of potential return here very often, occasionally. Now, on the other hand, honey. Well, I think that's, I think that's right, though, if it using our pitching analogy, I think that in that case, it would have been a fat pitch. I mean, both of them, if it if it's a, a right, like I think, right, exactly. So I think the point here is don't invest in the companies that are kind of mediocre to you just <laughs> exactly. because you want to deploy the money. That's right. You sit patiently and you wait because you don't have to swing. Eventually, the fat pitch will come along and just so you'll know what I'm thinking about when I mean fat pitch. While you're waiting, you build a watch list, right? You're gonna put a number of companies up there that you really love, you really like them, and you wanna buy them. And the fat pitch that's gonna come along, I think will come along in the next 24 months sometime. And that is, there'll be something that Trump does, something that happens in Russia, something that we can't even imagine in Africa, something in China, something will create a crisis and the stock market at, a, at the current valuations will wobble and then people will get afraid and the money will start coming out and the market will crash. And when that happens, that wonderful yeah. list of companies is going to go on sale. And that's where the fat pitch comes from. Okay. Yeah. 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 
Now, what you said earlier actually about time was really interesting. I and I was thinking about bank accounts, but um, but you're right. We don't all have that much time. I would say most of us don't have any time. So that's a real issue. It is a real issue. So think if you have a strike zone to keep this analogy going, maybe too far, and it's got 77 places where a pitcher can throw a ball that would be some kind of a good pitch. All right. Because you're limited by the amount of time you have, you're going to want to narrow down that strike zone to, let's say, four places where the ball needs to go. And since now in baseball, that wouldn't okay. work because it's too many possibilities. But in our investing world, that could work rather well because you you can get an unlimited number of pitches. We can pitch you General Motors, Coca-Cola, Whole Foods, Costco. We can pitch you a thousand companies a day. We can pitch 8,000 companies a day. And you don't have to swing at any of them. All you have to do is swing at the ones that are in that fat pitch spot for you. And that is going to limit the amount of time you have to put into this dramatically. And particularly if you understand that every five to 10 years, that fat pitch is going to come along for virtually every company in the market in the form of some kind of a recession. As in only research those companies that you are very interested, you know something about the industry, like you have some sort of in where that's something that you know you can understand it. Listen how crazy this gets, honey. Warren said that you, and this has been my experience too, you only need four or five companies to really do well. I mean, you, you said if you find four or five companies that are indeed fat pitches, you will become very, very rich. Those are his words. Four or five of the 20 are fat pitches. So if you're really cautious and really careful and you wait for this market to turn and fluctuate and give you these great companies on sale, just make sure you're buying the three or four or five really great ones and you will end up wealthy. That really is the truth. A friend of mine, another friend of mine who's an investor said to me something like, he tries really hard to be overzealous in his research and underzealous in his purchasing. Beautiful. I would agree with And this, I always try to remember that. Except I want to alter it a little bit. This is most of the time. Overzealous in research, underzealous in acquisition, or what we call the allocation of your capital, until mm -hmm. it's raining gold. And then you want to be overzealous and aggressive in purchasing companies. Don't you don't want to, as, as Warren says, you don't want to walk out when it's raining gold in the form of a market fluctuation where all these wonderful companies are on sale. You don't want to walk out there with a thimble. You want to walk out there with a wash tub. You want to walk out there with a pickup truck. You want to load that thing. So I would say the way Charlie says it, essentially you want to be super cautious, 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 careful, careful, careful. Be, as he says, you want to be lazy bordering on sloth until that economic <laughs> storm comes. And when that economic storm comes, then you want to be aggressive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes sense? Yeah. All right. So real so quick, let's talk about dry like, ships. Really, really? Be like, no? No, 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 no. We no. got to hold that for next time. Just, this is well, let me way just... too much okay. to shift into. Ah, oh, darn. Well, I just want to mention 1.68 million of the company's shares in early 2016 are now worth one share today. 
How is yeah. that possible? Go read this article, everybody. It's a really good article by Spencer Jacob, written on July 13th, and it's well worth a read to sober you up on how aggressively a, 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 a management team with questionable ethics or questionable, questionable goals can completely take your money in a company that doesn't even go bankrupt. Unreal. That's crazy. Unreal. Crazy. So we, crazy. we will actually talk about it next time. Okay. I promise. So until then. <laughs> I didn't know Ted Williams was going to hijack. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember. I didn't even know who Ted Williams was. The lesson here is to figure out what part of this market is your fat pitch. And the less time you have, the more critical it is you figure that out. And then do the thing that makes Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and other really great investors, really great investors. And that is to stay away from every other pitch. You stay within yeah. what they call your circle of competence and you just don't go there if it's not right in that circle. Stay away from the edge, stay away from gray areas, stay away from anything that looks a little bit hard and just wait patiently with three or four or five companies that you really understand. And when the market fluctuates, buy them and buy them aggressively with, with what you got. And that's the formula that has made Warren Buffett the richest person in the world. It's made me a lot of money. It's making you, Danielle, you're already making money using that exact formula. So this I'm is learning. the right way to go. I'm learning. So guys, we'll, we'll, we'll get, sorry about that on the on the uh, dry ships thing, but we'll get back to that next week. Do read the article. It's a stunning thing. We'll talk more about how management can make you and break you next time around. So until then, time to go play. See ya. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, and my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.